Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ LaFira. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam, and we are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, how you doing? LJ, doing good. Done with class for the day. Get to sit down, talk some baseball. Um, Excited for this episode, but um, tomorrow... LJ, I know we are doing a top 10 list. Would you like to tell people what will be on tomorrow's show? Yes, tomorrow we're going to go through, and I've been thinking about this a lot today and just, you know, just continually getting excited about this idea. Top 10 pitchers that we're most excited to see in the postseason. Um, I think we'll be talking about at least one of my 10 here today. Yeah. But I'm not sure about Brandon. Either way, this will be a fun episode too. I'm looking forward to that, but I'm ready for this. Well, let's jump right in. Um, let's talk about Mike Trout. Um, that's usually a good place to start, I would say. Uh, Pretty Mike, good. Mike Trout. Um, the he's hit a homer in seven straight games now. You're talking only a hundred games played. And 35 bombs? Uh, he's never been this efficient when it comes to his, his home run hitting um, in seasons past. And he's just playing outstanding. The, the guy doesn't slow down. 
despite the injury, you know, the injuries that derailed them last year that have derailed them a little this year, still a five, 5.3 war season, according to baseball reference. And he's now one game away. It could happen tonight. Um, from tying the MLB record for home most consecutive games with a home run, and that is eight games in a row. Um, I think we just need to like talk about how hard it is to actually hit a homer and like whether it's seven games in a row, eight games in a row. There's always a few guys every year where it's like five games in a row, six games in a row, but once you start getting up there, it's just it's incredibly hard, and especially when you're someone like Mike Trout, who, LJ, is it fair to say he probably only gets two or three pitches a game that he can actually hit because they just want to pitch around him so much? Yeah, I would say that's fair. Even even today, you know, this isn't necessarily his most efficient work this year, as you said, but it's that's still very, very true. And the other thing, too, with it is the mental part. You need to be so tough to get through that because not only does everyone – then become even more afraid of you. Like, I know there's not much room to further be afraid of Mike Trout than we already have, but I'm pretty sure that's there when you've hit a home run in five, six, seven straight games. So that makes it even harder because you're going to see even less. And the fact that in your own head, you have to not think about it. Like, you can't be thinking about hitting a home run if you're going to hit a home run. The only time that that works is a home run derby where you can change your swing because you know what you're going to be getting and it's not focused necessarily on contact. It's about hammering the ball. You're going to, even subconsciously, change the way you swing, change the way your plate approach is to hit those home runs if you're thinking about it too much. And that's what kills every single one of these. That's the type of stuff that sinks it. So, you know, half the time when you see those types of streaks end, it's a game with like, 0 for 3 with a walk and three fly balls. Yeah. Not very competitive fly balls either. Like, so that's ultimately what you have to try to avoid. It's very, very tough. But back on, you're talking about his home run clip. I mean, we are, even if he doesn't keep this stretch going, I would say it's pretty reasonable he could hit. I'm not going to go ahead and say he could. No, he couldn't. He cannot break his career high. He's not going to break 2019's 45 home runs. Could I see him get to the 41? Yeah, which was his second highest back from uh, that would be 2015. Yeah. So, you know, do I think that's reasonable? Absolutely. Especially with how hot he's been. He's got a couple of weeks left to do that. That's not out entirely out of play. 40 definitely is in play five home runs doesn't seem like that much of a thing but i think this is really signifying a shift in mike trout in mike trout's approach as we all know with his injury history his ongoing issues with his back and everything that's going to have to basically be managed throughout his career i'm not convinced we're ever going to see 140 game 150 game mike trout again and this is a guy who still wants to have the maximum impact on his team, not just for his own counting stats and all of this, not just to get over 100 war, but, you know, so his team can win some games. He's never looked like he's out there just for the stats. No. And so that, that's why I think 
a lot of this shift is coming. We could be heading for a future where we don't see another 300 season from Mike Trout. And I'm okay with that because he's focused more while still being able to hit for contact. I'm not saying this is a Joey Gallo situation. Where a you're 177 OPS plus. He must be doing something right. Yeah. Again, <laughs> I'm saying Mike Trout's version of being more power focused at the plate is saying he's going to sacrifice a little bit of that on base percentage mm-hmm. in order to get the extra power stats, to, to get those extra bases and get a little a little more impact per plate appearance because we he doesn't know how many of those he's going to get each year now. So that's why we're going to see probably – we're going to see him – I could see a world where he's around that 375 on base percentage. Maybe he's around 270 batting average each year rather than the 300, 420 that we're used to out of this guy, which is either way ridiculous. A very good slash line there, but we're going to see it with 40 home runs in 120 games. Like – that seems to be more the way that Mike Trout is going to approach the game now. It makes the most sense just because his time could be so limited from year to year. And you're talking about his second highest slugging percentage of his career this year, uh, actually 70 points higher than um, his M- than his 2014 and 2016 MVP seasons, um, but the lowest on base percentage that he's had. So, you know, LJ has, you know, he's he's hit it right on the head. Sure, he's willing to strike out a little more. I think his strikeout rate is actually higher than it's ever been right now. But he knows that I can still have an insane OPS plus, which beats two of his MVP seasons, right? Two MVP seasons and two second place MVP seasons. His OPS plus is higher this year. Um, and you know, we just kind of went quiet on him because he, he hasn't been healthy the whole year. The thing that stands out to me, of course, like all the baseball savant stats, hard hit percentage X, well, but that's of course going to be right towards the top, the outs above average in his fielding LJ 82nd percentile. You compare it to 2020 shortened season. That was 38th percentile 2019 where he won MVP was 30th percentile so he is significantly better in the field this year he's slugging at one of the highest rates of his career you know you could argue that this might be I don't know if I want to say the best form of Mike Trout but it's it's one of I mean when you combine that that uh defense because this has never been a guy who has put up insane outs above average numbers I mean other than 2018 where he was very good you look at 2019 30th percentile outs above average like 2017 11th percentile outs above average he's just completely changed his game and you know you see it in other sports like especially in the NBA as you start to get older guys start to change their game a little he's done exactly that in baseball which is really hard to do to just like kind of change your approach as much as he has and it's working really, really well. Um, he just—he is the one of the—he is the greatest player I've ever seen. Um, you know, to actually watch, and we really need to cherish every game that he's playing because, like LJ said, 
We don't know how many games in the next few years he's going to be playing. Do I want him to play 140, 150 games? Of course. But is that realistic? Probably not. So cherish what we have. This is his age 30 season. He just turned 31 last month. And um, you're just witnessing absolute greatness from this guy. Easily one of the best baseball players of all time, without a doubt. Yeah, well, what I'm interested in seeing right now is how, where, what does his positioning look like? I'm going to go back 27 mm -hmm. because this has always been your big thing, mm -hmm. Mike Trout, and the fact that he does provide more defensive value because he plays shallower. 321 is where he's at this year. That's about been the same spot he's lined up his entire career. So it's more, you're right. It's more of an effort-based thing than a peripheral thing. The fact that his defense is better. Yeah. And I'll just say it again. It might not be my favorite version of Mike Trout. I still kind of side towards the 35 to 40 home run Mike Trout, who, who, has, a four, who has a 450 on base yeah. percentage and a thousand slug or 600 slugging or whatever you want to call it. I might still prefer that, but I wouldn't say that this is a bad version. This is a very, it's a very understandable change given his circumstances because he does theoretically have more impact over the game playing in this way. And not only that, you're looking at sprint speed, 95th percentile, and he only has uh, one stolen base this year. So still one of the fastest players in the league, just being a little cautious, not stealing bases when he doesn't have to. And um, it's just it's it's what makes him so great. He sure he's one of the best hitters, but he's also one of the smartest players in the game, too, um, with his approach. And we can't discount that uh, whatsoever. But. LJ, I think we're going to actually be sticking with the Angels as the Angels and Guardians had quite the situation go down last night in their game the first time I've ever seen something like this where both managers get thrown out after the same pitch um LJ I just want to make sure I'm not getting anything wrong Indians or sorry not Indians Guardians are hitting there's a ball that comes inside bounces then hits the catcher's glove then kind of hits the batter is that correct yeah so it went almost directly in front of the batter's foot bounced up went in in and out of the catcher's glove and hit the batter on the ankle it was in real time looked very valid for terry francona to be upset that there wasn't a hit by pitch there, or at least question that fact. Like, there's no reason for him not to go out and appeal. It was a very close play. If you didn't see the replay, you wouldn't have been able to be so sure yourself. Yeah, I mean, and and you watch the replay. Like, I don't know how how to call that in real time. It happened so fast, and as an umpire, that's not the main thing he's looking for. He's looking to see if it's a ball or a strike. Right. So it's just, you know, it's it's a situation where 
It's a very weird call. And what ends up happening, Terry Francona asks for an appeal, correct? Correct. Ron Copa, the home plate umpire, refuses. We're pretty sure. We, we're pretty sure. Either of us full, um, fully. Regardless, Terry Francona gets extremely mad, comes out, gets thrown out of the game. Okay, that's fine. There was a bit of a delay, though, and... Roughly, like, two and a half, three minutes. Okay, which is still, for a baseball game, especially now with a pitch clock, a... Pitch clock's not there yet. Well, next year, still, (laughs) a, a very sizable time in between pitches. And all Ryan Tapera, the Angels pitcher, wanted to do was throw a couple warm-up pitches because he felt like he needed to. Well, home plate umpire Ron Culpa, after um, just throwing out Terry Francona, decides he's going to go on a full-power trip and say, no, you can't throw warm-up pitches, which is fine. But Ryan Tapera asks, why, why can't I? And Ron Culpa, the home plate umpire, responds, because I said so. Phil Nevin, the Angels manager, hears this. He comes out. He is very hot. He gets thrown out. And it's it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Ron Culpa is the same umpire who, he was either last year or a couple years ago, told A.J. Hinch, He said, I can do anything that I want, pointing right at him. And it's a joke because you know what, LJ? In other sports, in other sports, in the NFL, in the NBA, in soccer, the referees are held accountable. They put the best refs in, you know, they're actually held accountable for their actions. The MLB, no. You can do whatever you want as an umpire because your job security is safer than Brian Cashman. It is, you have, you're allowed to act out like this, completely just go on an ump show, make the game all about yourself when you're supposed to be a background character in these games. And they don't get held accountable whatsoever. Players get held accountable. Coaches held accountable. Front office members held accountable. The people actually refing and umping the games, not held accountable. You can do whatever you want. And this is the biggest problem with baseball is that they continue to let umps like this just completely take over games. And, you know, maybe MLB, You want to have a little bit of feel for the game. You want to, you know, look, I don't care that he told Ryan Tapera that he couldn't throw warm-up pitches because guess what? Right here, Rule 507B, it does not say that you're entitled to additional warm-up pitches unless the ump grants them to you, which is fine. But maybe cite that rule and not just say because I said so. You know, it's it's ridiculous. And Kenley Jansen this year, there was a situation where he was playing against the Padres, and he asked – it wasn't Ron Culpa umping. 
He asked for another warm-up pitch. The ump said no. He gave a little bit of an argument, but the ump actually cited the rules, said, look at the TV clock. We just got back from commercial break. That's the allotted time you have. And that was it. After the game, Kenley talks to the ump. They come to an agreement, and that's it. There's no showing up the players. There's no showing up the managers. There's none of that. It was a professional conversation by two professionals. For all I know, Ron Copla is not a professional umpire. He's not man enough to actually stand there and try to talk like someone who's mature. To him, it's just all a joke. He's in charge of everything, and he can do whatever he wants. And it is ridiculous. I don't care what anyone says. You just have to have a better feel for the game than this. Yeah, I mean, you're right, because, you know, it shouldn't, something like this, so silly, should not be taking up as much time as it did in a Major League Baseball game. Like, objectively, the entire second half of this thing is completely trivial. From both sides, but the fact that there's an umpire keeping it going on one end is the part that's most irritating to me. Going forward, what could you do? You know, well, first off, you know, accountability and only putting the best here. The fact that, you know, once you get to the Major major League Baseball, you're pretty much there for the rest of your life, as long as you want to be. That's 100% honestly how it works that's how it's worked for a very long time and that needs to be something that changes i would also wouldn't hurt seeing a world where umpires are region locked you know i think that makes it that puts more accountability on them as well and the players both sides have to be able to work together a lot better because you're going to be seeing the same 25 30 umps the entire season you might get sick of them but you're going to see them and you have to learn to deal with them and same thing with the umpires because if they're being held reasonably accountable they can't go creating personal vendettas against players and managers and just trying to screw a guy every two weeks that that's just not going to fly either as far as the pitch warm-up pitches go I do understand where Ron Culpa is coming from with denying it. Yes. If we're talking about, especially you bringing up the pitch clock, pace of play, I think you can't you can't just sit around and have warm-up pitches being thrown constantly. And that's really the easiest fix going forward in terms of rules that could change. I think the allotment of warm-up pitches needs to be more clearly defined across the board because this isn't the first time that we've seen warm-up pitches become something that's really destructive towards the energy of the game. I think back to last year's playoffs when, who was it? Was it Christian Javier that got hurt against the Red Sox? I th- Yes, Javier, yes. It was, it was yes. either Javier or Framber. Whoever it was, I do. Either way, either way yeah. he got hurt very early on. It was clear they were going to need somebody to go long innings. 
they went to bring Jake Odorizzi in, but they didn't have anyone him warming up before they had to pull the starter. So by rule, he gets to throw his entire warm-up, and he can go out to the mound to do so. Because yeah, if it's an injury, you get as many as you want. As that many. is the biggest piece of BS I have ever heard, and it flat out ruined a playoff game. Brandon, this man decided to do his entire pregame starting pitcher warm-up routine out on the mound in the middle of a playoff game. Okay, I get that, but LJ, if there's no one up in the bullpen and someone gets hurt, I mean, you got to let them warm up. I agree you have to let them warm up. However, I think some standards on that, I'm not asking for these things to go away. I'm asking for there to be definite structure to it because you can't tell me, I'm not. I'm just going to throw a random number out there here, but I'm sure that the majority of pitchers coming out of a bullpen throwing maybe 20 pitches, 25 pitches. Let's, op- let's operate with those numbers. If you marked it to 25 pitches, I don't think anyone can complain with that. Like, if you give them a reasonable number, but a def- definite number, like something right in the middle, a sweet spot, Somewhere where it's not going to necessarily jeopardize player safety, but you're not going to get into one of those situations where warm-ups could have gone on as long as Jake Odorizzi won. Right. Like, that's the type of stuff that tanks the game. Extra warm-up pitches in situations like the Kenley Jansen thing, those also tank the energy of the game. So, yeah, those things really need to get updated. Well... I think the lesson here is just it's it might be a little ridiculous what has been what Ron Culpa did, um, but there is there there are definitely is some some standards that could be set regarding warm up pitches. But I'm just very against the ump taking control of the game like that. It's it's a little childish. But LJ, let's before I talk about this one up this one up pitcher, I wanna talk about this really big series that I texted you earlier today. I think this this Blue Jays Rays five game series is the most important series of the season because they're so close in that wild card race. And the way the wild card works, you're playing three games in one st- or well, it's a best two of three, but all the games are in one stadium. There's no switching stadiums. You really don't want to be on the road for that for that series. You just don't. And these two teams, uh, actually, a Tampa takes game one today. Game two is tonight. Now it's it's even closer because Toronto's one behind in the loss column. They're tied in the win column. Just a massive series overall for these two AL East teams. I mean, LJ, you, I, I don't know how how you feel about the series, but in, in my mind, it is extremely important for both teams. And where did we see a really important series for both of these teams last year? And what happened in that series? Do you remember? Oh, I remember all too well, Brandon. 
this was about in it, this exact same time of year where the pressure got to Toronto and they ate themselves up. And Which happened in game one today, it seems. Maybe, maybe so. Honestly, I don't think a win necessarily saves that either. Let's not pretend that winning this is the end-all be-all because how many times have we seen a team come out of a big series, win, be happy with it, be excited about that, and then start dropping games like crazy? Yeah. How about we talk about was it when it was Wednesday that the Braves took the division last week, right? Yep. Wednesday they take the division. They then beat the Mariners on Friday and haven't won since. Granted, Not to mention a heartbreaking loss in there where they were up by what four in the ninth inning and had and had a Kenley Jansen on the mound and they end up blowing it. Yeah, so it almost felt to me, and people have been making fun of it. I've seen a couple of TikToks of just like excessive celebration. And that's what it looked like was they got the division and then all of a sudden they started partying because they're like, oh, we've had such uh, so much of a better record over the back half of the year that we're definitely not going to lose this division title. Like we're here and we're here to stay was their mentality. And they start partying and celebrating and everyone's so happy about it that they forgot to execute that all of a sudden there was a let off after they got to that point. And that's kind of what happened here. I could see a scenario where, you know, I don't see as much as I don't see it happening with Tampa. It definitely could just because they're you know, a more, more veteran team, more seasoned management. I could see a scenario where Toronto wins this series. Then comes out of this series and plays absolutely terrible from this point on. You know, you get that that big win, you get that big series, you're like, all right, we're here, we finally arrived, and then fall flat. It happens. It's very real. But let's also talk about the stakes of this series. I will I will still contend that the two Mets Braves series from August okay. are bigger just because as much what's better than hosting a three-game series, not having to play in one at all. Exactly. Yeah, no, good point. Um, But the real risk here comes with these dumb-ass Canada COVID restrictions. In a theoretical world where Toronto takes this last, the fifth wild card, Tampa ends up in the sixth wild card, or the sixth seed, the third wild card, They'll have to go up to the Rogers Center. They'll have to go up to the Rogers Center without Brooks Raley. Brooks Raley, thank you. Brooks Raley and uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Brooks Raley and Ryan Thompson, was it? Yes. Once Ryan Thompson comes back and where we are assuming that he'll be back because yeah. he didn't have a serious injury. They're without Brooks Raley this whole for for these five games, who's been one of their best relievers the whole year as a lefty. I would not want to be in a three-game series. Again, especially a team that's so built around their pitching staff and around their relief staff. You know, you take two big blows, any team can be beaten over three games with all those players, especially even more so without it. So, yeah, this is this is bigger for Tampa. That's the other thing, too, is it's bigger for Tampa than, I think, Toronto. Like, 
as much as they would rather not be on the road, you know, the trough isn't that terrible. All right, it's not that terrible in terms of a fan dynamic. Like, you're going to get the most Tampa fans you'll see all year, but that's still not that many. And it's a terrible hitting park for both teams. So I don't see... I don't see where it's as nearly as big a deal for the Blue Jays as it would be for the Rays to drop this series, whereas it would have been a huge deal for the Mets and the Braves. Well, an absolutely massive win for Tampa in game one here. If Toronto wants to win this series, they got to take three of the next four. Um, Pitching matchup tonight is, if I could pull it up here, there it is. Yanni Chirinos, who's back finally. Um, this is a guy who hadn't pitched since 2020 for the Rays. Um, and most famously, at least to me, was the pitcher when the Savages in the Box comment got made by Aaron Boone. Um, and he's facing Alec Manoa, who has just been awesome this year. So two great pitchers going at it tonight um, in, a, in games in a game that I will most certainly be watching split screen with um, the Yankees and Red Sox. But another great pitcher, and I just want to bring this up real quick here at the end of the show, and then we can wrap up. I was shocked to see when I was sorting through the – this is just such a nerd statement, I guess. Going through the expected WOBA stats for uh, pitchers on Baseball Savant, that there has actually been somebody better who's faced a minimum of um, 50 ba- – or excuse me, 35 batters. Someone better than Edwin Diaz, Pete Fairbanks. You're talking a 0.160 Wobo, which is 44 points lower than Edwin Diaz this year. Um, Pete Fairbanks, you know, was one of the guys who was in 2020 for the Rays. You're talking that bullpen that was Nick Anderson who had one of the best statistical reliever seasons ever in 2020. Pete Fairbanks was in there. Diego Castillo, a big part. Those were their big three. Fairbanks last year, I don't think pitched very much at all. Um, Well, he did, but uh, oh, he did, I guess. I don't know. What, what am I thinking when he was out? He was out for most of this year, yeah, didn't come back until um, July. And, you know, has just been outstanding in the games that he's pitched. Another huge part of this Tampa bullpen and number one for expected Wobo by, by, by a pitchers. Um, also nice to see Jacob DeGrom up there, which if we need to talk about, that's insane that as a starter – it's he he's still like fourth best among these guys who um fit the that criteria it's insane um but yeah just wanted to give a little shout out to pete fairbanks um and if you see him come in know that he's been at least so far with the batters he's faced the most dominant uh pitcher in the mlb this year not saying that he's been the best but in the batters he's faced he has the best Wilbur. Yeah, and to touch on why he's not the best, 
I mean, there's there's the easy answer, and then there's the more complicated, debatable answer, which is the the easy one is sample size. Right. Yeah. Like, this is a high volume relief team, and he's got less than half of the half as many innings as any of his counterparts in this group. Like everyone else is, everyone else that's been around the full year has already broken forty. Guys like Jason Adam, Colin Posh. Um, Jalen Beeks as well, who's had a terrific year and hasn't been talked about either. But the more complicated answer is, I don't think I'm ever going to feel comfortable giving the best reliever in the league award to a Tampa Bay Ray. Okay. Just because I still, maybe you're going to get irritated that I'm too old school for you here, but I still feel like the ninth inning work provides more pressure than seventh inning with the top of the order. And it's the fact that it's the ninth inning. And it's the fact that if everything goes wrong, it's truly on you. Like nobody talks about the guy who blows, blows games in the seventh inning. They only talk about the guys who blow them in the ninth. And ultimately the pressure, the expectation all of what comes as a traditional closer makes your job so much harder that I can't give it to a guy who's splitting the role like this or even not just pitching around in the most dominant spot. I get that the statistics say, I understand all of that. I just, I see things a little different. No, you know, it's a very valid point. And, um, you know, I, that's why I like using this uh, baseball reference stat, game entering leverage index. Pete Fairbanks, this is the highest it's been of his career, 1.75. Um, one is average pressure. Below one is low pressure. Above one is high pressure. We're talking last year, 1.55, 2020, where he was one of their guys, 1.33. So, um, well, he has not been pitching in the ninth, a lot still has six saves um in the 19 games that he's pitched in and um has according to this been entering in higher leverage situations than he ever has in his career so you certainly love to see that but of course not like you know Emmanuel Classe in the in the AL this year is is almost a sure thing to win AL reliever of the year i i don't see how he doesn't. He's been so outstandingly good um, that, yeah, I would have to give it to him. But got to give some a shout-out to my boy Pete Fairbanks as well as we end the show. But anything else you wanted no, to No, I'm all set. Well, be sure to tune in tomorrow. Top 10 pitchers we can't wait to watch in the postseason. But until then, follow us. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at MLB Daily Pod. And we will see you. See you manana. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.